0: This is Connected to Chicago, a look at the top stories of the week, with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Now, Connected to Chicago. And welcome to Connected to Chicago. Governor Pritzker this week, alongside with his State of the State address, delivered his budget address, which may appear to have a rosy outlook for Illinois, but that's likely temporary. Our guest this week is Assistant Republican Senate Leader Sue Resin of the 38th District, and uh, leader your your district basically follows what i-80 outside of joliet west to like let's say princeton and you've got a very busy corridor in there with i-80 and, and i-39 is that right
1: i i do represent the uh interstate 80 corridor as i uh as you um just explained no it's an agricultural district and an energy producing district
0: yeah and a lot of trucks rolling through there as well keeping america working and moving and running uh first thing first Let me ask you, what's your takeaway from the governor's budget address?
1: Well, I mean, a couple of things. Uh, I, of course, did agree with the governor. He talked about the need for increased uh, funding for MAP grants, which is incredibly important. Uh, He talked about the need for increasing early childhood development. Uh, We recognize not only in early childhood development, but uh, with education, that we're going to have large learning gaps, uh, especially after the pandemic and students trying to Uh, learn via zoom. Um, He also talked about the need for increasing funding for community colleges uh, and also for your institutions. So you know that was good to hear. Uh, My concern is though when he put the entire budget together that he proposed that there is a a huge expansion of permanent government services to the tune of almost an additional 2.5 billion dollars Uh, added to the budget now last year we had um, revenue come in that we didn't anticipate because of the biden bucks coming into the corporations uh, to help keep them open and the small businesses to help keep them open during the pandemic that was a one-time influx of funds however how are we going to pay for the huge expansion of government programs that we've seen um, in the past, uh, in that were proposed in this budget. That's a concern that I have. Another concern that I have is that the governor talked about a billion dollars worth of tax cuts because he feels that uh, many people, as we all do, the taxing implication or the taxing impact in the state of Illinois is um, very high. In fact, Illinois ranks at the bottom for at least tax-friendly states for middle-class families, according to a recent uh, study by Kiplinger. So, um, the governor did recognize that, but what he did is only put in temporary tax relief for one year uh, in all of the areas. We, the Senate Republicans, have proposed and consistently have proposed permanent tax relief by, um, for the middle-class family in the state of Illinois. And um, that's how we feel you're going to retain people as opposed to having this huge up migration of people with over a hundred thousand people leaving the state of Illinois last year alone, just because it's not a tax friendly state. So those two are challenges. Um, the third area that I would say that the, gov- the governor did not talk about at all, which uh, directly affects small businesses is the huge deficit that we have in our unemployment insurance trust fund. Now, this is a fund that typically small businesses, businesses pay into by paying a tax. It's called the FEUD tax. And um, in general, there's enough money in there to call to cover unemployment benefits in a normal year. Well, because of the re, uh, COVID, uh, we had so many people out of work because of uh, COVID and the pandemic. That fund went into a negative five billion dollar um, deficit. And most other states use federal funds to replenish that deficit. The governor has yet. Illinois is one of the few last states that has not addressed this issue or used the federal funds that were given to the states to replenish that fund. And if we do not replenish that fund very soon, then the businesses will be paying a very large increase um in their taxes in order to replenish the fund. And it's a significant amount to a small business. So uh, the governor didn't talk about that. He needs to talk about it. It's a huge outlier uh, out there that um, if not addressed with the federal funds would be a massive tax increase on every small business in the state of Illinois.
0: Definitely the time when uh, businesses are being really taxed out of business. And then you put the COVID on top of it. And these... These folks are really struggling. Let's explore these three areas that that you brought up, and we'll start with what you just uh, got off of there. Why do you think he's not using those federal dollars? I mean, it sounds like, for the most part, they're intended to to help with the uh, unemployment, unemployment insurance uh, mm-hmm. program. W- other states are doing it. Why do you think the governor is not?
1: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, that's... Uh that's exactly what we should be spending the federal dollars on. Uh, The state of Illinois received almost $7 billion. We call it ARPA money. And uh, that money is to be used for quote unquote COVID related expenses. And I cannot, I can think of uh, two very, in my opinion, very high priority priority COVID expenses. One would be to replenish the unemployment insurance trust funds. So businesses are not, negatively impacted by having to pay this huge uh, FUTA tax increase to replenish the fund. Um, and then I would say the other priority in my mind uh, where the the federal funds should be used would be to help close, to begin to close this huge learning gap that we're going to see with all of our school children. Um, teachers, principals, superintendents, uh, parents have been working very hard, but it's difficult during the pandemic when you're trying to teach via Zoom. Uh, I think we as parents have more respect for our teachers now, uh, especially when we see that they, you know, are teaching via Zoom, they're teaching in the classroom, and they're teaching during a hybrid model. Unfortunately, there are children that fall off and have a um, larger learning gap because of this, and I feel that the federal funds should be used for that learning gap as well. Uh, to answer your question regarding why has why didn't the governor, I, w- I was disappointed why the governor did not, talk about this glaring omission um, that needs to be addressed and that's using the federal funds for the unemployment insurance trust fund to help prop up small businesses now um, and in the future coming out of this pandemic. Um, Your guess is good as mine. I sit on the negotiating task force between labor and between the businesses to figure out ways to replenish the fund um and uh to date uh the state has not committed though we've asked has not committed the governor's administration has not committed using the federal funds to help small businesses
0: you also hit on the concern about this expansion of permanent government programs services what have you can you give me an example or two of, of what some of those are that uh, he, he's looking to make permanent
1: well, I would say, and there are numerous ones, instead of getting down into, um, you know, much of the details, I, I can say that, yes, there are many good um, uses of our money, right, when you're trying to, dev- or when you're trying to um, uh, put a budget together. However, we do need to prioritize when we're looking at um, all of the challenges that the state has We've consistently said when the federal dollars come in, these are one time dollars. And we need to make sure that we do not expand government, expand programs, and make programs permanent um, under the guise of COVID because we do not have a way to pay for these programs after a year. Once the Biden bucks dry up, um, we now as legislators have to figure out how to pay for the increase in um, all of these services, which add another $2.5 billion to our budget by um, increasing the services and making them permanent. We knew that this would be a challenge, um, and that's why we continue to bring it up. That even though this year we have money to pay for those programs, next year we don't know what's going to happen. We're not through the pandemic. We're not certain that we're again. Much of the money that is coming into Illinois is one-time. We, you know, we're not getting more money from the federal government. We believe, we so now we will have to find figure out in the year 2023 or um, how do how do we pay for these uh, permanent programs that have included in the governor's budget.
0: Well, and I guess that leads us into why this one billion dollars in tax cuts. Everybody wants a tax cut, right? That's great news, but why it's only going to be temporary and for uh, just one year right because the state can't keep bleeding money Mm -hmm. but uh, he is up for re-election is this just Mm -hmm. a re-election ploy here to try and get votes
1: well i mean here's here's the two options on the table for the governor Um, and we know that the taxing impact for middle-class families in the state of illinois is huge Um, the governor is seeing the polls just like we're seeing the polls um, people are literally being taxed out of this state. That's why over 100,000 people left the state last year because of the cost of high taxes. So the governor has two options on the floor. Um, put forth a temporary tax reduction plan as he did in his budget, which would reduce, uh, which would provide uh, approximately a billion dollars in tax relief only for one year or be serious about the huge taxing impact that we have that's crushing the middle class and making those uh, many of the tax um, suggestions that we have in our proposals permanent. I mean, we have the highest property taxes in the country. Let's see what we can do to bring down the cost of property taxes. The governor talked about uh, a a temporary uh, sales tax relief on groceries. Well, you know, I. I approve of that, but it should be a permanent uh, tax reduction on groceries and more importantly, let's have the discussion why we're talking about milk we're ha- We're having this discussion because inflation has gone up eight percent on top of everything else. so a temporary one year temporary tax reduction on a few of these items is peanuts uh, to the taxpayers in Illinois, and they understand. Um, that it's just a one-year gimmick to get us through the election year. Um, and the many of the people in our district want pr- permanent tax relief. Uh, and we have proposed numerous bills that would provi- provide that.
0: Yeah, and, of course, at a time when uh, I don't think we're going to see inflation kind of hold steady at any point, we're just going to keep continuing to see it. Uh, go up, and that's really hitting the bottom line for a lot of folks in their, their budgets. I know our household food budget has gone up, uh, significantly here, uh, just in the last three weeks or so. Um, well, let me mm-hmm. ask you this. Do you give the governor some credit for recognizing that the state police needs more funding and more, uh, boots on the ground, I guess? Because, you know, he is proposing, uh, what an $18.5 million increase to the budget there to hire Uh, some 300 additional troopers. There's some money in there for local law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Does that go far enough?
1: I would say that money alone, well, first of all, let's go back. Violent crime, we're talking about violent crime here and addressing our increase uh, in crime that we're seeing. So violent crime has skyrocketed across the state, and people are rightfully scared. Um, This just isn't a Chicago problem. It's communities across the entire state that are seeing historic levels of of crime, um, increase in um, violent crimes, increase in carjacking. We're seeing an increase in murders across the entire state, but money alone isn't going to solve the crime problem. We need to also hold violent criminals accountable for their action. And we have consistently, we uh, on Tuesday, we held a press conference once again to propose our bill that uh, address the uh, huge increase that we're seeing in crime, not only in our state, but across the country. Um, The brave men and women of our law enforcement community feel like they're under attack from violent criminals, as well as uh, the recent criminal justice overhaul that's made their jobs much tougher in the state of Illinois. So in September, we unveiled a comprehensive package of legislative solutions but our bills were ignored way back in September. We heard crickets. The bills were not called at all. So once again, we held a press conference this week on Tuesday in the Capitol uh, proposing again the same comprehensive package of legislative solution that is a plan to give power back to the police officers while holding violent criminals accountable um, and our package includes protecting our police officers and correction facilities by requiring uh, defendants who commit aggravated battery against a police officer to serve at least 85% of their sentence. Our package of bills also holds violent offenders accountable. So you have a 10-year in life for violent firearms offenses. That would um, that would mean that criminals know... See, criminals know exactly how far they can go according to legislation passed. I hate to say it, but they're, they're sophisticated. I mean, they know what the law says they can do and they can't do. So uh, it's important that we pass legislation that they will recognize as holding them accountable to, to decrease uh, much of the crime that we're seeing. Of course, money is important. We're glad to see the governor increasing the budget for the state police. Uh, I believe that that, uh, again, money alone isn't going to solve the crime problem. We need uh, bills passed that hold the violent criminals accountable for their action.
0: And I did want to ask you about uh, that bill that you guys had had uh, just proposed again. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of uh, uh, people in Illinois, and I think some Democrat lawmakers are Uh, starting to see that the police and criminal justice reform bill which had passed kind of isn't doing a good job and part of what you all are proposing would kind of strengthen some things around that 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 have been talked about the the need to get out there and uh, stop these violent crimes make sure people are punished and are serving jail time Um, and crime doesn't discriminate between democrats and republicans why do you think uh, some of your Democrat colleagues haven't jumped on board. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it seems like everybody would back law enforcement and everybody would want to see justice served.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I you know I think we have two competing agendas here, and I'm not saying one agenda is right over the other one. I do believe that we can take both of those agendas and work together. It's not a, a you know one is. Um, It's not an either or, or an all or nothing proposition. You have, um, many people who believe that we need to, um, pass some restorative justice, um, legislation. And I'll be honest with you. There are some bills that I agree with within that to make sure that our black and Brown community is not adversely uh, treated in the, um, in the department of corrections, however. I feel that we've gone way overboard in the reform bill that was passed at three o'clock in the morning that takes a tremendous amount of power away from our law enforcement who are, who are serving and protecting our communities when um, they know that they do not have uh, the power, or a lot of the power was taken away from them. And that's where we should be able to come together and let's just talk about right now violent offenders. Even Sheriff Dart said that violent offenders who are now being released under this, um, under the uh, Cook County re- restorative justice reforms, violent offenders are being released and put on, you know, ankle ankle um, mm-hmm. uh, bracelets. And he he has stated that it is not this program is not meant for murderers or violent offenders. So I think that the bill went too far. Um, we will always back the police. Our bills actually, when we held our press conference on Tuesday, we had many sheriff police officers, the head of the um, fraternal order of uh, police officers speak. And they told story after story about many of their members who are, uh, shot at, who are killed in the line of duty because they feel that the criminals uh, have, there's no accountable for these violent criminals. I will give you one example, and there's many in this entire state, but the police officer that was uh, shot, actually she was executed from Bradley. And if you look at the, uh, the criminal that shot and killed the officer, he has a rap sheet that's pages and pages long of violent acts, violent criminal acts and if you read that, you would wonder why is this guy on the street? I mean, here's an officer that uh, was shot, and then he took the gun, and she begged for her life, and he executed her. And it's very sad that we have law enforcement because they do not believe that the uh, that they have uh, that you know that we have their backs. They're retiring. And that's a concern from us as well, that there's not enough police officers to fill these retirement positions. The city of Chicago alone had 900 police officers retire after the criminal justice reform or the anti-police reform bill was passed several months ago. So we need to take another look at this. You know, and I'll say one more thing, and I'm a parent, I have four kids, three of my kids live in Chicago. They live in, you know, decent areas in Chicago where most kids live once they graduate college. And every weekend, I am fearful, fearful for my kids and everyone else's kids because of this random act of violence we're seeing throughout the entire um, city of Chicago and the county. And it's not right to have it in any um, neighborhood at all, but we're seeing it spread into our interstates going into Chicago. I mean, we've had the highest shootings on The Eisenhower and the Dan Ryan, we've seen going into Chicago. In fact, when I go into Chicago, I make sure even though I'm told that going the Dan Ryan is the quickest way, I'm going another way because I feel it's safer. People are changing their behaviors. Parents, mothers are fearful uh, of their children when they're, uh, because of the random violence that we're seeing and we need officials to take notice and to your point, we are hearing now that the mayor of Chicago, we're hearing the president of the Senate, and the Speaker of the House, and Senator Dick Durbin—they're all coming out saying that now we need to address this crime issue. Well, they're saying that because they're hearing from their uh, they're hearing from their constituents.
0: Sure. Just about a minute left here, and I wanted to highlight something you are doing. You have uh, the LaSalle Veterans Home in your district, a very large facility. Um, and you've got the senior living facilities out there as well. Valentine's for Seniors. What can folks do to help out?
1: You know, this is something, it's a program we started last year. It was very difficult to get into the LaSalle Veterans Home to visit your loved one. It was very difficult to get into the nursing homes to visit your loved one. And we started this program asking teachers, uh, students, whoever would like to, to draw and make handmade Valentines for us, drop them off at our office, and then we drop them off to all of the facilities throughout the 38th Senate District that I represent. I'm proud to say that last year that the program was incredibly successful. We had over 5,000 handmade Valentine cards. And if you think about it, when you're a senior citizen that has been really isolated during the pandemic, where many of them could not come out of their room to even go eat during the height of the pandemic, a handmade card saying, hey, you know, to brighten your day um, it is that important. So we're doing it again this year. Anyone who would like to uh, create handmade cards, feel free to drop off at my Senate office in Morris or in Peru. And we're happy to make sure that that important person in the nursing home or the LaSalle Veterans Home gets your card.
0: And you can find those addresses at uh, senatorresin.com. Uh, R-E-Z-I-N, SenatorRezin.com. Well, thanks so much for joining me here, here, Senator, the Assistant Republican Senate Leader Sue Rezin of the 38th District. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Coming up, the Reporter Roundtable. You're listening to Connected to Chicago on WLS. This is Connected to Chicago. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. Time for the reporter roundtable where we welcome in Greg Hines of Crane Chicago Business, Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune with us today. And gentlemen, we can dive right into the big state news this week. And that was the governor's combined state of the state address and the budget address. A lot there to unwrap. The governor kind of painting a rosy outlook for the state, uh, financial wise, fiscally. But, uh, some of the proposals also seem to me like kind of an ad campaign. Um, Start with you Greg what's your uh, takeaway first of all Well sure it was an ad campaign
2: um I mean it's a re- it's a budget in a re-election year I mean uh, if you look in the book of politics that's probably in chapter 1 about things that a smart candidate does uh, but that doesn't mean it was a bad budget um Mr. Pritzker is fortunate that uh, state revenues because of some of the oddities of the covid uh, uh, era have, have been very peppy uh, in particular people when they stayed home in the last year. Um, uh, instead of, instead of going to movies, uh, or uh, out to a nightclub or whatever, uh, they bought stuff on the internet and the state tax structure, the sales tax anyhow, is much better at capturing those revenues. You add that in with all the federal money they got and Illinois is relatively flush. Now where I think the the governor gets some credit is instead of blowing all that on uh, on uh, lots of spending programs that some people would like to do, he took a big chunk of it and put it into paying down debt. <laughs> That's really smart. I mean, for instance, uh, uh, Ray would know better than I would. that uh, this, he, not only we're going to make the minimum pension payment we're supposed to, but we're going to put in five hundred million dollars more than we have to, which means which will save us a lot of money in the future because we're front funding. <laughs> um, that hasn't happened since Jim Edgar was governor. Uh, he uh, he's going to put 800 million dollars into the rainy day fund and he's going to return a uh, uh, roughly a billion dollars to taxpayers he's proposing to in the form of, uh, of tax cuts one-time tax cuts um <clears throat> that makes him look like he's uh, being fiscally conservative and smart and played right into and here's where we get into the campaign his tv has been up for the last month or so about how jb pritzker's brought all back from the brink and is running a, a good ship estate i'm like that no good in a c- uh, Bruce Rauner, I think this budget will be very helpful to him. And the Republicans. going to have, even though they call it, they're talking about one-time gimmicks, they're going to have a hard time finding it.
3: Yeah, I think what um, it strikes me as is obviously um, overly, uh, overly... Um, Well, just an effort to really overly convince people that he's the guy that uh, Greg was just talking about there and that he's the fiscal manager here. But it does help to have billions coming in from the from the United States uh, due to the whole COVID thing. But it also strikes me that it looks like uh, some of George Ryan's gimmicks here back when he was flush. Back when uh, the state was flush under Ryan in the, in the early 2000s, uh, in the late 1990s, um, we saw uh, George Ryan put in a, a uh, rollback of uh, gasoline uh, taxes. Uh, they t- I think they took the sales tax off of gas at the time and, and uh, then they lost I don't, I don't recall the specific number but something like $500 million for having it off for either six months or a year and that's money that could have been used for something else, paying down debt for example. And then they also had the same kind of property tax uh, rebate idea where you give back people um, some money uh, just to uh, say that you can do it. But if you had taken all that, if you've got a billion dollars here, it was just uh, back back as a napkin here, you can figure out he's throwing in an extra $500 million that reduces the long-term debt on pension to a one point by 1.8 billion. But if you took a billion that you're going to send to the property taxes and put it into uh, the same formula, you would end up with maybe another 3.6 billion. And if you uh, shave down the rainy day fund, which is always, uh fungible and and i doubt that it will come in at that level that he's proposing if you shave that down by another 500 you get another 1.8 billion pretty soon you're talking about real real money here when you get a billion here and a billion there as Everett dirksen would say so you could easily come up here with uh another seven or eight billion dollars that you could save if you pumped in the uh, dollars into the the pension system which is really the albatross around illinois right now so the sooner you can get that down the better and that's another way to to look at it um it's it also strikes me that um, years ago when they did that uh property tax rebate on, under ryan they ended up with um a lot of people getting as much as $300, but they also uh, also had tens of thousands of people who got checks worth less than $10, too. So is, is it really the smartest move? And is taking the sales tax off of uh, food really that uh, helpful? You know, it means you would pay a dollar less if you get 100 uh, dollar bags of groceries. So um, it sounds good, and it is good. And because you have that federal money coming in, you can you can make this happen. But um, if you're really wanted to look at the long term, you could have more impact by putting it elsewhere.
2: Two points back at you, Ray. Uh, yeah. One, uh, uh, I won't dispute anything you said, but uh, both the Civic Federation and the Taxpayers Federation of Illinois. I talked to both of them, and they both said pretty nice things about uh, given, given the political realities out here about uh, what the, the governor did. No, he didn't put it all into, uh, into, into, into debts, but he put most of it into debts uh, reduction, and uh, that's, that's considerable. Two, um, uh, yeah, it's true we could put every possible penny into, into the pension funds, but uh, uh, in, in the real world, who doesn't like tax cuts? Certainly Republicans have been calling for tax cuts across the board. What are they going to say? Oh, we right. wouldn't, that we wouldn't have given, we wouldn't have put right. money in your pocket. We were going to put it into the, into the pockets of those fat pensioners. <clears throat> that doesn't wash. So, you know, I think, he, I think, I think he tried to strike a balance here. And uh, while uh, I would agree with you, uh, if he put every single penny into, into, into pensions, it would have made more of a long-term difference. Um, <clears throat> This was certainly a a step in the right direction, and it certainly changes the subject from from the defunct uh, graduated income tax. Right, we tried to right. push through. I mean, it's it's kind right. of a visible yeah. answer to that.
3: It'll be hard for him to not get what he wants here because there are so many property, uh, right. or so many various tax cuts. The thing that's interesting to me is that they want to put, oh, I believe it's as much as $872 million into this so-called rainy day fund, which they've had and which they've, it's been a joke many years, most of the years, they put money into it and then transfer it out and pour it right into the general revenue uh, funds where they're spending all kinds of monies. But they are uh, also trying to address things like um, backlogs and debts and uh, uh, unemployment is uh, unemployment insurance, as I understand it. Greg, is that how you understand it, too? Uh,
2: yeah, uh, I mean, that's a, di- that's a different subject. Uh, they have of the federal money that's left that isn't allocated to $3.5 billion. Uh, they, they clearly want to put a chunk of it into uh into drawing down the debt in the state's unemployment trust fund, uh, uh, but first they want to deal between labor and management as to who's going to, you know, benefits go down a little bit, the taxes go up a little bit, how to how to finance the rest of it. There's also uh, a uh, several hundred million dollars that uh, that would go into pay uh, debts that have been there forever in uh, in uh, retiree health insurance that right. uh, clearly it needed to be financed, and now we, we now we have a uh, we now we have a way to do it um uh you know the real question is always in governors well, what happens next year after the after the election is over and when we don't have this big influx of cash um, do we are we in the same structural budget problem situation as we were before? It is interesting that uh, one aspect of a governor's uh, uh, address that I didn't think got enough attention rate i'm curious what your thoughts are on this is is the budget people are now contending that for the first time in forever since we entered the the so called Edgar Ramp, this planned long term plan to slowly get up to financing the pension funds the way we ought to, that this year we're not we're 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 gonna pass at the tread water level. In other words And even though we've been raising hundreds of million dollars or more for pensions every year, we still have been putting in what's needed to uh, retire the debt uh, 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 by the time we're scheduled to. Well, for the first time, they actually going to meet that tread tread water level uh, and we're going to pass it. And they say, we're going to be able to do that. We're pretty sure in the future. If so, and that's a big, if it strikes me, that's a pretty significant turning point.
3: Yeah, there has always been this uh, kind of uh, prediction that after so many years, we would hit the level where we don't have to keep rising uh, in the amount of money that we keep pouring into pensions to catch up. And so um, if we're coming to that point at this time, and if they actually make it happen, it is a key point. And it is a key turning point because uh, once you've got a set amount that you're going to put in there, instead of having to raise the amount every year because of, of a variety of, of uh, increases and, and pensions, then you are uh, a lot better off and they'd be better off if they could put any spare cash into paying down your, their debt sooner too Um but uh, just as you outline, Greg, the whole idea here is to make something that's politically palatable, too, and also make something that uh, will get the governor reelected.
0: Well, let's pivot there and talk about um, this uh, uh, situation with uh, Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin. Um, He's kind of feeling the heat here lately, uh, making the rounds with the media. I know he uh, sat down uh, with you, uh, Greg, uh, over at Cranes to do an interview. what are what are some of the questions he's facing that he's kind of not fully answering or pushing off to the side?
2: Well, let me, let me pass the, the backdrop. In the good old days, uh, Ray and I both remember when, it, when someone declared for, uh, for office. They'd hold a press conference. Everybody could show up. Uh, the, the candidate would give their their pitch, and then we'd get a chance to question them and try to put things in perspective and flesh it out and talk about some of the stuff with candidate maybe didn't want to talk about. Well, candidates don't do that anymore. Increasingly, when you announce, you just put out a video uh, and uh, make sure everybody writes about just what's in the video. Um, and the advantage of that from the candidate's perspective is they get their message out unadulterated. Nobody gets a chance to question or put, or shade it or do anything else It goes out exactly the way the candidate wanted. Well, the urban people did it. He released a, a flashy video, but uh, almost three weeks ago now, and he released a million dollars in TV ads emphasizing one of the points in, uh, in, in the video, which is uh, crime and law and order and what the, the, the Democrats allegedly have done wrong. But he granted absolutely no interviews to anybody. The music company, frankly had him hiding <laughs> well they, they let him out of a hidey hole this week, uh, first of Mary Annie Channel Five, and the daily herald and I, and then I and the Tribune and a bunch of other people had him, had him the next day and you and While you would have thought that they would have used that two weeks or two and a half weeks of prep time to you know teach him his lines and go over obvious subjects and have answers ready for things he knew reporters are going to ask about. For whatever reason, either they didn't do it or he didn't get the lesson, but he kind of stumbled and uh, and bobbed and weaved and whatever. I mean, the most obvious one was everybody wants to know this, and they're in Republican primaries now and in general elections. Okay, you're a Republican. Uh, are you with Donald Trump or not? Did you vote for Donald Trump? He mm-hmm. wouldn't say. Um, uh, 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 do you think he has too much influence over the national party? Oh, if I'm elected, I'll be uh, I'll be the head of the uh, Republican Party in Illinois duck and duck. Um, another question I brought up, he's running on this big, uh, on this big, uh, law and order platform. But yet when I asked him about his, his personal law firm, cause he's not only the mayor of Aurora, he runs a law firm on the side. It's a person. It's a, uh, it's a criminal defense firm. In part. And pardon, if you go on their website, they brag about how they, uh, how they represent uh, people uh, accused of being, uh, of, uh abusing heroin. And uh, and uh, domestic abuse and child abuse. Uh, Parents are trying to keep their kid when the state says you've abused the kid. Um, How do you rationalize that with being a law and order candidate? That would seem to be a little bit of a non sequitur. You think you'd be able to talk about it? And the answer he gave was, frankly, pretty lame. He said, oh, under the Constitution, everybody has a right to a defense attorney. Well, yeah, but you don't have a right to, to have you as their defense attorney. And, and as and all if you're going to be for law and order, why are you representing all these kind of heinous guys? Um, the Tribune had its own uh, problems with him. But, uh, uh, he just didn't seem ready for prime time.
3: Yeah. And it, and he wanted to try to bat questions away by saying, well, that's what Pritzker wants you to ask. Well, Get a grip man this is not a podunk this is a, you're not an aurora anymore you've got <laughs> some real you've got some real questions that you have to ask or uh, answer when when you're asked and um if you're looking to be uh the real deal you have to step up and hit the ball you can't just go up there and say, well, that's, that's a pitch I don't want to answer. Um, you know, if you do that, you're going to be striking out a lot. And unfortunately for him, that's what he did. Now on the flip side, he leveled some major charges to, um, uh, he blamed uh, the sweeping criminal justice reforms signed by uh, Governor Pritzker for playing a role in the deaths of eight law enforcement officers in Illinois over the past year. And that um, he made, even though many of the laws, uh, what many of the provisions in the laws have not gone into effect. So he, even in some of his major uh, charges that he's throwing out, he's still got holes in those that, that can be, uh, batted about now, granted the Pritzker people didn't exactly have a, a great comeback to that, but, um, you've got to, you've got to show that you're really prime time. Maybe this is what Bill uh, or Ken Griffin is, is, uh, waiting for to see if the guy can survive, uh, a few, few, uh, questions from reporters. This isn't even uh, prime time yet. These were just kind of the opening rounds, and if you can't handle that, you uh, had better had better be polishing your act pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, and I that's it hits hits on the uh, excuse me, hits nail on the head here. Um, if you're Ken Griffin, who's been rumored to be preparing to. Uh, Put hundreds of millions of dollars down this guy. Uh, does this kind of bumpy uh, uh, reception uh, on his first kind of maiden trip out of the media land? Does this give give him pause? I have to think it does. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and that's what I wanted to clarify. Just so you know, we're again we're recording this on a on a Friday uh, afternoon. But um, you know, and the speculations out there. But as far as like guys like Ken Griffin or Deck Uline, nobody has pulled the trigger yet on a candidate, right?
3: Well, certainly Ken Griffin has not uh, thrown money that we've seen uh, recorded in the uh, campaign uh, disclosures so far. Now, um, that could change while we're talking here, but um, the, he uh, is the guy that everybody's looking at uh, as the potential uh potential funder who can even mm-hmm. the score between a billionaire governor and other and the rest of the field uh who wants to oppose this billionaire ge- governor ken griffin one of the uh, biggest uh, richest uh, guys in the state uh is a uh, uh in a long-term battle with with J.B. Pritzker you'll recall that in the last election Griffin uh put in tens of millions of dollars up against J.B. Pritzker's tens of millions of dollars to uh defeat Pritzker's uh uh, proposal to have a graduated income tax in Illinois which would have in theory taxed the, the people with the highest incomes the most Griffin uh Griffin was able to, to uh, counteract that, and he's looking now to, to take out Pritzker in the campaign.
0: Well, we just have a, a minute left here or so. I wanted to get the feel on what's happening with the Ward remap in Chicago. They had that uh, meeting on, uh, was it a Sunday morning, um, and still nothing. What's the chances that this could maybe go to the voters, Greg? Is that possible?
2: Oh, it's more than possible, Nick. I think it's probably a uh, maybe past fifty percent chance, and the, the odds are increasing every day. Uh, you have this standoff between the, the black element who uh, who uh, don't want to give up one more ward, on uh, the Latinos, uh, block that, that says our population warrants it. Um, and uh, uh, unless somebody blinks here, uh, in the absence of a mayor who can force the two sides to knock heads together and, and come up with something. Um I think that increases the likelihood. And, you know, while that would certainly uh uh, uh unsettle some people, I think she's starting to warm up to the idea of of, uh, of having voters decide. Uh but uh uh they still have time, uh but uh, the clock is ticking, they have a like, fact several more weeks, but if they don't work it out, it'll go to voters.
3: Yeah, it would be havoc squared if they uh, go to voters, <laughs> and nobody knows right now which way it would end up. And so, um, you know, this is just one more chapter in
2: Chicago that we're waiting to see unfold. Yeah, all we know is, it, is that any 10 all could put
0: a map on the ballot. And we'll have to leave it there. Thanks to Greg Hines of Crane Chicago Business and Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune. Up next, Kim Gordon. You're listening to Connected to Chicago on WLS. <laughs> This is Connected to Chicago, a look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com.
4: The Illinois Holocaust Museum has opened a new exhibit called The Journey Back using cutting edge virtual reality that puts guests inside several concentration camps. Joining me today is Chief Curator of Collections and Exhibitions, Arielle Weininger, to discuss the groundbreaking technology. Arielle, welcome to Connected to Chicago thank you so much for having me so i have so many questions about this new exhibit it sounds amazing from content to technology but let's start with what the journey back is all about so the journey back is a virtual reality experience there are two different films that visitors can see um, one is called a promise kept it's the story of Fritzi Fritchall, who was our museum president Um, And unfortunately, is no longer with us. She died um, about seven months prior to the exhibition opening. But she was so committed to the idea of taking visitors back to Auschwitz, back to where she and her family were taken, that that's why she wanted so much to create this virtual reality experience where she literally walks you through her experience at Auschwitz and at a slave labor camp that she was um, forced to work at. A second film is um, called Don't Forget Me, and it is the story of George Brent. So George takes us not only to Auschwitz, but to Mauthausen and Ebensee. He actually was in three different concentration camps. And we as visitors, again, get to go with him back to his hometown onto the uh, rail car that took both Fritzi and George um, separately to Auschwitz and then on to the other camps that he um, was forced to work at. and ultimately, um, we, as we hear their stories, we come back into the present into today's world, and we see the rich and wonderful lives that they built here in the United States, and even more specifically in the Chicago area. When you come to the exhibit, do you have to choose one film or the other, or do you get to see as many as you want? So the films will cycle through. um, One month will feature one survivor, then the next month will feature another survivor. So um, as you uh, plan your visit, you can, of course, go online and find out information about that. Okay, and so tell us about the technology. How does this experience work? So the films were made over, it was basically about a two-year process. Um, the films themselves are uh, shot on site. So um, a film crew went to um, Europe, went to the Ukraine and to Poland to film these uh, these films. The, the survivors themselves, Fritzi actually went to Europe to have the film made of her. Um, but some of the other scenes, and also for George, he, he did not feel comfortable traveling at his age back to Europe. Um, so they were filmed here in Chicago on a green screen and then placed within the film. But there's also some really interesting technology that's used called photogrammetry, which is scanning of the areas within the concentration camp, like the barracks area, um, and then stitching together thousands of um, of still photographs, of the of that room of the barracks room so that when you're inside of the virtual reality headset it creates this 3d experience where you can look around and you really feel like you are visiting the camp yourself Um, there are also other sections of each film that we call um, memory spaces because of course the goal is not to recreate the experience of being there. We can never know what it was like when they were there during World War II and during the Holocaust. But um, based on their stories, based on their memories, an artist created uh, some some detailed pictures of what certain, time, certain parts of their stories might have been like. And that's what's in these memory spaces that visitors will also see. So the films themselves are shown in an area of the museum that's actually directly under one of our core objects in the museum, which is a rail car of the type that would have transported people to the concentration camps and killing centers. So you're surrounded, that's above you, and you're also surrounded by all of these white frames that are on the black wall of the gallery. And what happens is you actually walk into that physical space, and then when you put on the VR headset, the frames become populated with photographs of Fritzi and of George and their families from before the war and then at the end of the film from after the war and up until today so it really is it 's a virtual reality experience inside the headset, but it also is really important that the film is shown within this Um, this curated and really emotive space within the museum. Great, and we should remind listeners that the museum is located in Skokie. Yep, we are located in Skokie. We're just across the highway from Old Orchard. Great, well thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And that'll do it for this week's Connected to Chicago. My thanks again to reporters, Ray Long of the Tribune, Greg Hines of Cranes, and Heather Sharon of WTTW. Also, thanks to Matt Mellon for his technical assistance I'm Nick Gale, 890 WLS News. Connected to Chicago, a production of WLS News. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com.